And my name is Amy, and I am a pastor here at Incarnation. And today I'm going to focus on that scripture that Gabby read a few minutes ago, that one from Hebrews, and it's a pretty wild text. So kids, I don't know if you were listening to that part, or if you can read, you could even grab one of the Bibles that's on the table or at the back to read that part from Hebrews 12. But it's this passage that talks about two mountains, and one is sort of like a volcano. It's full of fire and smoke, and there are loud sounds like trumpets. And then the other one has more angels than you could ever count. They're in their party clothes, and they're celebrating. And these two mountains are going to come up a lot as I'm preaching. And so I want to invite the kids or the adults who benefit from this sort of thing to maybe draw those two mountains, maybe just think about those mountains. Maybe you want to take Play-Doh and make those two mountains. Any way that you want to engage with these mountains, because they are really crazy sounding. Well, before we get to those mountains, I wanted to give us just a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews, because it's been in our lectionary, our order of Sunday readings, for the last few Sundays. We don't get the whole book of Hebrews right now in the church year. We just get sort of the greatest hits. We had chapter 11 a few weeks ago. We had chapter 12 last week and this week, and we'll get chapter 13 next week. And this is like the meat of Hebrews, the part everybody turns to and knows and understands or recognizes, not understands. <laughs> it's actually quite mysterious. Um, but the book of Hebrews was written for Christians who are tired of being Christians. It's clear all throughout this book that these are Christians who have started with zeal. They have embraced the life and the way of Jesus with so much enthusiasm, with so much devotion. They have been just unending in their compassion for people who are suffering, people on the margins. They've stood in solidarity with prisoners. They have served and served and given of themselves. They've endured abuse and persecution for their faith, and yet they've stood strong through it. But now they are just tired. They have this deep spiritual exhaustion, and that exhaustion is giving way to spiritual indifference. Like, they're too tired to really care anymore. Church attendance is down, we hear earlier in the book. They're just, they're tired of showing up. They're tired of serving. They're tired of worship. They're tired of each other. They're tired of learning. They're tired of trying to figure out how to pray. They're even kind of tired of Jesus. They're tired of being on that narrow way that the gospel talks about. And they're kind of looking longingly at the ease of those around them who are on this broad way, who sleep in on Sunday and go to brunch and go through life spending their money and just doing whatever they want without having to give a thought to loving God and loving their neighbors, to worshiping. They're just weary. They're ready to give up. And that sort of weariness is actually a pretty normal experience in the life of faith. It's certainly something I have experienced several times. It's something I think many of us have experienced. And I actually had a period about 15 years ago where for a few years, I was really tired of being a Christian. I was experiencing deep doubts. I was really cynical about the church. I wasn't sure that I believed in God anymore. I wasn't sure what I believed. And in hindsight, those years were this threshold to a deeper faith, to something better and new. 
But at the time, it didn't feel like that. It just felt like years of darkness. It felt scary. I felt a lot of loss. I felt really disoriented. And at the same time, I couldn't muster enough energy to really care or to do anything about it. And I hear from a lot of you that you're weary too. Maybe not quite at the level that I was, but it's really hard to keep the faith right now. We have gone through a couple of years of the pandemic, and sometimes we sort of forget because we're eager to step out of it, but we're all really spiritually and physically and socially and emotionally worn out from this experience we've lived through. And beyond that, when we look at the church around us, it is easy to feel like, I don't want to be a Christian anymore, to see abuse, to see scandal, to see corruption, to see unholy alliances with politics, and just just feel so tired of it all, so ready to give up. We look around and we want to see Christians who are on that narrow way, but where are they? It's enough to sort of make us wonder if the story is even true. And so I think we can sympathize, either we or people we know and love can certainly Imagine ourselves in the mindset of the audience of the book of Hebrews. So then it's very relevant to us to see how the author of Hebrews responds. And it's an interesting response. Hebrews, unlike most of the New Testament, is not a letter. It's actually a sermon. So in response to this despondency, this desire to give up, the writer of Hebrews preaches And it's a really long sermon, 13 chapters long, and the style of the sermon is like sermons that were preached in the Jewish synagogues. It's mysterious, it's beautiful, it's very confusing, it's full of all these profound symbols that pull way back from the Old Testament, full of strange metaphors and warnings. And again and again and again, this preacher of Hebrews just holds out to us the beauty and the mystery of Christ, the beauty and mystery of what Christ has done for us, and just pleads, don't let go of this. Don't give up. And I can say as someone who preaches sermons and who knows sort of the landscape of books and advice and resources that are available to preachers and church leaders, this is not like a very quick fix strategic church growth move to preach this long, high stakes, mysterious sermon. There are resources that will say like 30 days to take your church from tired to inspired, or here's a small group formula or a strategic plan that's going to get your people over the hump and ignite your church. And this is not any of that. The preacher of Hebrews is not a strategist. He is a preacher. He's a poet in the Jewish tradition, and he's dipping back into this ancient pattern you see all through the scriptures and that you see Jesus embodying, where in this pattern, when people come to God with their doubts and their questions and they're on the verge of giving up, God doesn't give them quick fixes. He doesn't give them strategic responses or tidy solutions or formulas. When people come to God with their questions, most of the time, God gives them a revelation of himself. 
in all his mystery, in all his beauty, in all of his judgment, and with that swift mercy that comes on the other side of it. And so again and again throughout Scripture and throughout the book of Hebrews, we see that what the weary soul sometimes needs from God is not answers. It's God. And so that's background that brings us up to today's passage, chapter 12. And the language of this passage is just beautiful. It's so evocative, and it's this vision of the two mountains. And particularly, it is weary people at the foot of these two mountains where they will encounter God. But which mountain will they encounter God at? That is the question of this passage, and there are two options given here. There's Mount Sinai, and there's Mount Zion. Now, Mount Sinai comes first, and that's where God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to his people through Moses. And that story of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai is told in Deuteronomy chapters 4 and 5. And this preacher uses that language. It pulls from that story here in Hebrews to say this. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Mount Sinai is this place of law. It's a place of judgment. It's a place where human beings encounter the holiness of God and they encounter their own holiness in the face of God, and they have to reckon with it, and it is terrifying. They tremble. But the good news from the book of Hebrews is that we have not come to Mount Sinai. We are not standing in this place of trembling and gloom. Instead, listen. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, that just means party clothes, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This other mountain, our mountain, is Mount Zion. And in the Jewish imagination and all throughout scriptures, Mount Zion is the dwelling place of the living God. And it's also a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's that final eternal city and mountain and home where all of the faithful have been journeying throughout their lives and throughout history. It's this final better homeland and better country and city whose builder and maker is God that we heard about in Hebrews 11 a few weeks ago. And in this image, Jesus is our pioneer. He is leading this ragtag group of pilgrims home to that mountain, to that dwelling place, to that city. And there's blood on this mountain, the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than Abel. Now this is pulling deep history from the very beginning of time, from the very first chapters, uh, chapters of scripture, Abel was the son of Adam and Eve. He was murdered by his brother. It's the first recorded murder in scripture and in human history. And scripture says that God heard Abel's blood crying out from the ground for vengeance, 
for punishment. But then he says, the blood of Jesus is crying out a better word. It cries out this word of grace, this word of forgiveness, this word of restoration, this word that says that ancient cycle of vengeance is being undone. And sprinkled blood on a mountain is actually like a really gruesome image. It's an image that doesn't make me feel terribly comfortable. If you imagine drops of blood in the soil, kind of at the foot of this scrubby Palestinian mountain. And this gruesome image means that we can't make Mount Zion just like this ethereal pie-in-the-sky idea. It reminds us of our bodies, of our humanity, of our flesh and blood, and of this earth that we stand on. And it also reminds us of Jesus's humanity, of Jesus's flesh and blood, of the earth that Jesus walked. It reminds us that Jesus is God in the flesh, God with blood in his veins and nails in his hands on the cross. Blood is gruesome. Sprinkled blood in dirt is gruesome. But human life is gruesome. And God chose to enter the gruesomeness of humanity and to give his own body for its healing. And so it's only by Jesus' blood that we can approach Mount Zion with this confidence that this is our true homeland. This is our city. This is our mountain. Now, up to this point in the passage, we've heard two mountains, Mount Sinai, where we tremble in fear at God's judgment, Mount Zion, where Jesus' blood ensures our home in this heavenly city. And Hebrews has assured us, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, you have come to Mount Zion. But then it all gets muddled in the second half of the passage, because we hear that even here at Mount Sinai, or at Mount Zion, there is fire, even here, there is this voice of warning that is shaking the earth to its foundations. And we begin to see that these two mountains are actually not as distinct as they seemed. They are actually both places of this unsettling judgment and this consuming fire. And the God of Mount Zion is still a holy God. He's a consuming fire that is burning off all impurities, so that his people can stand before him fully redeemed, fully alive, fully themselves as they were always made to be. And this God is shaking the heavens and the earth in this final cosmic earthquake. He is knocking off millennia of dust and rubble and revealing what this passage calls his unshakable kingdom. And by the grace of God, and through the fire of God, and through the blood of Jesus, we can withstand this. God has made us to withstand the fire and the shaking. They will not destroy us, and we don't need to tremble in fear. This fiery mountain becomes for us this place of transformation, this place of unsettling and dislodging and revealing what is true what is beautiful and good, what will last forever. And this good and beautiful and true and lasting reality, this is our inheritance. Verse 28 tells us we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
This is given to us. You have come to Mount Zion, and this encounter with the living God will not destroy you, but it will transform you. Well, keep in mind that these words were written to the spiritually weary, to people who were ready to give up, ready to walk away, ready to just go to sleep and forget about it. And the writer of Hebrews does this surprising and confusing thing. He brings them to this encounter with the living God on the mountain. This God whose voice shakes the heavens but will never shake them. The God whose fire is burning away all evil but will not burn them. This God whose own blood is in the dirt crying out this word of grace that they will not be destroyed. They will be forgiven and loved and given a kingdom. And it makes me wonder if maybe what we need in our own weariness is not a break from God, but maybe more of God. Maybe sometimes what our souls need most is awe and wonder. Well, I want in our quiet time just to take a moment together here at the mountain, here in the presence of the living God. I want us to imagine ourselves bringing whatever weariness we are carrying, wherever we want to give up, to bring it into the presence of this God and to ask him what he has for us at the mountain. So you might want to close your eyes right now. It's up to you. But we'll just take a quiet moment asking God, what do you have for me here? What do you want to shake loose? What do you want to burn away? if you know the words, I want to invite you to sing this prayer with me. Just a prayer to invite the God of fire to melt us and to make something new with us. And if you don't know it, you can just receive it. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Speak.